pull up a chair and let's talk care series two yay <laughs> um episode one i've got with me today would you like to introduce yourself hi so i'm emily um i run emily autism and me and i'm very excited to be on uh, back on the podcast for series two episode one it's brilliant yeah, and, and today we're looking at diagnosis of autism, but also what happens after a diagnosis. So that is the aim of today. And then we're not just going to do, hopefully, if you agree, we're not just going to do this episode, we're going to do something afterwards so that there's going to be more than just one episode regarding autism. Um, because that was the idea of series two, that we're not just going to do one and then that's it. We're just going to do a, a number of episodes surrounding um, what it is to be an autistic person. Um, and also um, the sort of dispelling the myths <laughs> definitely <laughs> uh, and I think that is something maybe even has become more of a a much needed thing recently yeah I would definitely agree it's become it's become a lot more needed recently I think there's there are a lot of myths out there but you see them on like a daily basis so you just think where have these come from like who's spreading this because it really needs to stop so yeah the spelling of myths I would agree is a lot more prevalent at the moment yeah and so that's the idea so first of all today is we're going to look at regarding diagnosis and and one of the key things about having you here today is because your diagnosis didn't happen for you as a child did it no I was 27 when I got my diagnosis uh, in November of last year so in some sense recently really not even a year no no just just over nine months ago yeah it's yeah it's, it's it's crazy to think it's not even been a year yet um with everything that's happened in the past nine months yeah so yeah. so how long did it take you to get that diagnosis would you say from the start of a diagnosis uh so it was about 11 months um it was probably christmas 2019 when i actually put in the paperwork to start the process um yeah and then November I actually got the diagnosis so it was about 11 months which I am aware is a very short period of time I'm aware that many other people have to wait a lot longer uh, than the 11 months um, Emily during a pandemic yeah I uh, <laughs> yeah the, the irony is is that obviously we started the lockdown with you know Boris Johnson announced that we were going into that first lockdown on the 23rd of March last year I had my first appointment on the 24th of March <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I genuinely was still trying to process, wow, all this is happening. I can't really go out, can't do this. This is all changing. My routine's different. Oh, and by the way, we'll do we'll do this really big appointment that'll last for hours and go into everything that you struggle with and have always struggled with. So yeah, it was um it was something. I don't really know quite the word to describe it, but yeah, it was a an event, we'll say. Wow. <laughs> That is rather incredible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that, and, and actually, I never even thought about that. And that, that is just, that is incredible. But let's take it back to the beginning, actually. Let's take it back, right back before even thinking about a diagnosis. And yeah. um, Now, obviously, there are a number of children that are diagnosed at a younger age. 
yeah yeah definitely i would agree with that yeah um and if we were to believe what society tells us what would it tell us it would tell us that all children are probably given an autism diagnosis by the age of eight to ten probably yeah. would be like the maximum that's what i was always told in training anyways that 10 was probably pushing it if you were older than 10 the chances were nah, you weren't yeah. gonna get a diagnosis <laughs> yeah what else would it might what else might it tell us uh it might focus on the uh male perspective of uh of uh, autism and the kind of autism traits being very kind of linked to how it might present in a in a male um yeah so definitely down the not a side I would fit into <laughs> so what it what it might tell us is that more boys are diagnosed well in some sense it'd say more boys have autism than girls but what it actually means is more boys are diagnosed than girls that's the actual yeah absolutely yeah there is there are some places still today where the the ratio of boys to girls diagnosed is 16 to 1 and it's just like i'm sorry I, I just i refuse to believe that for every 16 boys there's only one girl who's autistic and, um, and that, there are some more positive statistics than that but i just feel like that was one that was worth highlighting but i think that's about diagnosis and people have to understand yeah. that that's not that more boys have it maybe yeah. it's that who's been diagnosed yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's all about the diagnosis. That's the barrier is getting the diagnosis. Um, you you hear so many girls who have either or women even to go into adults who have been told, "Oh no, you can't be autistic because you can make eye contact." Yeah, brilliant. There's a nice myth thrown in there, or that kind of the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, which is then extremely difficult to get rid of, essentially. It's like, well, that's just putting another barrier in the way if you're an autistic female who can't... I mean, we'll go kind of more into what happens once you do get the actual diagnosis, but it's it's just another barrier put in the way of actually even starting the process of getting a diagnosis without the waiting list, without all the other kind of things that society puts in the way um, to get that diagnosis and that validation almost. And do you think... For, for girls not being and I don't want to just focus on girls of course but for yeah. not getting a diagnosis for, for females for girls is it because girls present differently maybe I think there are there are definitely instances where girls do present differently and, and I'm not going to say that it's that there are male autism traits and female autism traits because that's not the case at all I would say it's there are definitely boys who do present in the way that girls do, but I do think it, it is very different that girls will kind of mask a lot more. So those autism traits may be a lot more hidden at school because you, you hear that phrase, don't you? Of, oh, they really struggle at home. Oh, well, they're fine at school. Yes. They're not fine. Like, I wasn't fine at school. I'm just going to pull that out there for the, however many years you're at school for. 14 years that you were at school for I was not okay yeah <laughs> so yeah but yeah so it's definitely I would say girls do present differently um and almost probably wouldn't present differently without all the kind of society norms the societal norms that are put onto us as a girl that you do kind of have to have that you're supposed to fit into this like category almost um and I think we mask 
to be able to fit into those categories. So I think those autism traits then get missed, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I believe social conditioning, isn't it? It's that yeah. social conditioning and 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 that 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 ability to fit into a group of people. As we were sort of saying, you know, it's about we social conditioning and you know having to behave in a certain way dress in a certain way look a certain way um you know and 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 we and we do that throughout life and, and it's not just being as a child but I think you're absolutely right masking in school because we don't want to stand out because yeah. when you stand out what happens you're just a target for bullies I mean you're probably a target for bullies anyway but I think if you stand out you're even more of a target for bullies yeah it does feel like you can't win sometimes to be fair <laughs> yeah <laughs> thinking about it our maths have still got bullied so I don't really think it worked but you know <laughs> um, yeah. you can never win I, I, no. yeah. um, but so tell me a bit about your journey then how come do you think for you and your story and your journey why you weren't diagnosed as a child what do you think just for you why you weren't diagnosed so for me I think it was very much because um like I was very clearly suffering or struggling with my mental health that's what it was always put down to I do think it was because I was masking so much that that's what kind of really impacted my mental health and I just went through so many different services like I was with CAMS for years I did group therapy I did individual therapy family like essentially if it's got the word therapy in it I've probably done it hypnotherapy didn't like that um, <laughs> it's and I think it was more a case of oh we'll, we'll just go with the anxiety it, there was never any other conversations around actually maybe there could be something else like even like going through when I was saying Look, this isn't working this isn't working it was no we'll just try a different kind of therapy there was never a conversation around actually maybe there's something else there was never really anything looking into why there was so much anxiety or why I didn't want to go to school or anything like that it just wasn't talked about and I know people say oh well autism wasn't a thing when you were at school but I'm not that old <laughs> I'm 28 so I, would, I don't feel like I'm really ancient but like I don't really feel like like autism there's been a diagnosis around for nearly 80 years yeah exactly a definition around for nearly 80 years even if it is that dodgy Hans Asperger's one yeah but you, you do kind of think um actually autism was around I just don't think people talked about it that much or it did very much follow that because I didn't fit into that kind of because I spoke out pretty much couldn't get me to shut up I did make eye contact but I think that's because I did drama a lot so I was kind of taught to the eye contact I don't think I ticked a lot of the stereotypical autism trait boxes so it was very much like this is mental health I mean, I do struggle with my mental health. I'm not saying that I don't, but I think that was all that was focused on rather than potential autism. And do you think it's because that they they didn't ask the right questions, maybe? Yeah. I, I don't think there was ever kind of any 
or they kind of ignored what was almost staring them in the face like the number of when you go through reports that were written and stuff when I was kind of in school like the autism traits are there <laughs> like all the way from because my mum has hoarded all those reports we've got them from reception all the way up to year 13 the traits were there very clearly there to see about my social kind of how I interacted with others how I needed lots of support when I was in work like my uh, in school and doing my work how I reacted with like the struggle of using scissors like my phone my fine motor skills were brilliant which again I've got potential dyspraxia as well but never picked up on um, things like I was always called careless which you just think actually maybe I just didn't understand what was going on um, and there's lots of things about me being distracted by noise not by people but by noise and it's like I don't think they were being picked up on like you say I don't think the right questions were being asked it was very much oh we'll just kind of pick this and if she's not responding well then it's something that she's doing wrong rather than what they're doing wrong <laughs> yeah. and, and and is that down to the school um I don't, I don't want to put like all the emphasis I do think a lot of it because you do spend most of your time at, at school when you are that age and I do think because I, I spent a lot of times kind of early early years in high school with the learning mentor I spent most of my time with her and it, she just never mentioned anything. Um, so I do think people that spent a lot of time with me who probably had had that training probably should have picked up on something a bit. I mean, it took the person who actually mentioned autism less than an hour to pick up on it. Um, so you just think if the right person had spoken to me, would things have been different? So, yeah. And that boils down to the right training at the right time. Yeah. the relevant services being involved but also asking the why and observing appropriately and, yeah. and 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 noticing everything at once and and seeing it and put and having that picture because yeah. what they clearly did in my opinion and obviously I don't know that is they 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 took each bit in isolation rather than together yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it seems they took each bit in isolation. If they'd have put it all together, they'd have had a picture. Yeah, absolutely. And if that's something we can say to people, it's about having that map. It's yeah. about building the map. And and in some sense, having those bits put together, that pattern, that that information so that you can see the journey but also see the patterns. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it is all about that big picture. You need that. If you look at things in isolation, things are going to get missed. If you look at the big picture, then you're going to actually see the big picture. <laughs> yeah. And then tell me about the diagnosis, the journey of diagnosis. How, how did that one, how did it come about? So what happened next? Uh, so it came about in that, so by the age of 26, um, I was still in and out of every mental health service you could possibly think of. And by that point, it wasn't just anxiety, it was depression as well. Um, and I'd been on kind of antidepressants that just made me really, really poorly, um, which I found out after I got my diagnosis, my GP rang me and said, oh, 
it might be because you're autistic that you really struggled with those antidepressants so I'm going to put a little bit of emphasis on the GP should have picked up on that as well um so we'd run out of options um so I was referred to a community mental health team um and as I say less than an hour with me she went have you ever because we were talking about because I'd been somewhere like just before the actual session where well I say just before a few days before where I'd been like really really sensitive to noise so I was picking that up because it was really like fresh in my mind and she was like oh have you ever been told you could like has autism ever been mentioned and I said no <laughs> not once um so she took it to her colleagues and one of her colleagues happened to used to work for the diagnostic service uh, so they did like a mock screening with me and she was 99.9% sure <laughs> from the mock assessment. She said even down to the way I dressed because I always tend to wear kind of hoodies and comfy trousers and things like that. Um, even that, she said, just gave her a clue before she'd even done any of the questions. Um, so then it was self-referral self uh, to the diagnostic service um there is the option of doing it through a doctor but apparently they actually will reject you more you're more likely to be rejected from the service if you go through a GP than you do through self-referral which I actually find quite shocking but <laughs> um yeah so that's you have to fit a criteria and and also funding and things like that yeah, so it's probably, again, it's probably a bit of a box ticking <laughs> kind of thing, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, so I did that in December of 2019, like a week before Christmas. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot going on at, at that time. And then, obviously, yeah, I had to wait until March to get my first appointment. So, yeah, first full day of lockdown. Obviously, I'd... I'd met with somebody from the service beforehand and I'd kind of done loads of research into what to expect one of the biggest barriers for me was obviously with the pandemic every bit of research I'd done was now null and void (laughs) didn't count anymore um and the first appointment was actually three hours on the phone um I'm not a big fan of phone conversations oh goodness me um so it was very kind of really quite difficult and I think I've like I actually came out of it going oh, well I forgot to say this and I forgot to say that and I forgot to say that. and my mum ended up having to get an email address for me to send all the additional information across um and then obviously my mum had to have her appointment like I think I was a week later yeah can you explain um, that a little bit why did your mum have to have a conversation yeah so autism isn't something you you develop it's not like something that you suddenly kind of start with when you're a certain age it's something you're born with so it's all about those kind of finding out if there was autism traits in very early childhood which I don't remember <laughs> um and to mum to some extent probably didn't but um so yeah it's um I'll probably be in trouble for that um, <laughs> there will probably be um little bits about early childhood that you can kind of that your your parents or somebody that knew you when you were younger can pick up on and and feedback so that they're getting again that whole picture of not just kind of like your most recent experiences but your whole life and to find out if those autism traits have been there um all the time okay so that's really important then 
yeah really really important yeah it's actually they do say that if you can't have somebody to, to provide that extra bit of background information it's harder to decide if you are autistic or not it's harder to get that diagnosis so again if you are older and you know you don't have somebody who was around when you were younger the chances are that's a diagnosis you're probably not going to get because you're older and there's nobody to talk about those early childhood experiences so again another difficulty yeah absolutely so yeah it's yeah it's just so many barriers to it it's just yeah (laughs) it needs I mean I know it's mentioned in the most recent autism strategy that it's going to be looked at but I will um hold my breath as to whether it changes or not I'm not gonna say I think it's fantastic because I don't think the funding's there for long enough to do it so but I understand the need to have that information though yeah absolutely yeah the need to have that information is really important absolutely it's just unfortunately it's why maybe there needs to be more emphasis on recognizing autism traits when we're younger so that it doesn't get to that point like I don't think you should be getting to I think even I'm I was too old I should have been picked up on way earlier um and I know people well I know people older than me currently are going through the process so um it's yeah it's yeah I think it's all about there needs to be an emphasis on you need to get that diagnosis so um your mum did her bit and then 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 what and then radio silence um, was essentially okay. what I got it was so that was still in March of last year when all that happened um and again all my information was you'd have a diagnosis within I think it was 26 weeks um and nothing I just didn't get any response so I was having to try and keep in contact with the diagnostic team and be like look I'm really struggling that this is really like I need the answers because there was support that I maybe could have accessed but wasn't able to because I didn't have that little strip of paper that said you know Emily is is valid for this now um not that I'm annoyed by that at all <laughs> um so and it was just taking time after time and I even got there were other health professionals from like mental health teams that looked into it and it was just not happening I think that uncertainty I mean I had the uncertainty of the pandemic and everything else going on and the uncertainty of the diagnosis and it again my mental health went downhill really quickly we ended up being in touch with crisis teams and it really just became this kind of really like a snowball effect um and then just got a very casual call from the diagnostic service sort of end of October saying, oh, there's a, you're at the top of the waiting list now. Um, you can have a, a Zoom call. So because I said about phone calls and they said you need, they need to actually see you. Um, well, obviously, they couldn't do face to face. So we moved to a Zoom call um, and it was agreed that they'd send me the Zoom link about 10 minutes before. Um, and I still think part of me thinks the actual appointment was done as a test to see how I reacted to unexpected change <laughs> because my appointment was at half past one so in my head that literal thinking I thought right 20 past one I'll get an email it got to one twenty nine, and I still didn't have a zoom link so I waited got to one thirty, still no zoom link so 
I had to ring them, which again, a bit of a, another barrier, um, and say, look, you, you told me what, what's going on. And I was really quite fussed because I was like, well, you told me you were going to email me. Oh, we'll deal with it soon. We'll let you, we'll let them know that you've rung up. And then I don't think it actually started until about quarter to two. So I'd been waiting for 25 minutes for the actual appointment to start. And other people are like, oh, you're just being a bit cynical and they wouldn't really do that. But part of like, I think they did. Like, I really think they did to see how I would react to that last minute change. Um, and then it was described to me as... Um, almost like a three-part appointment so the first part was to be all about kind of asking additional questions um, and following up anything that they wanted to query that either my mum had brought up or that I had brought up which given that it had been eight months in between appointments was was interesting um, and then they said right well we'll have a break and then we'll do some activities then we'll have another break and then we'll we'll tell you what our decision is so we had the questions, we went into the first break. The first break was only meant to be five minutes and it was longer than five minutes. So I was like, you really are saying to take the mickey with this now <laughs> with like not doing what you say you're gonna do. Um, came back on and they went, okay, so uh, we've had a chat during the break and we've decided you're autistic. <gasps> That's how it was delivered. And I was like, oh, so I still do not know what those activities are. <laughs> I've never done them um so yeah I burst into tears but I, I still I'm like was it the shock of finally getting the answers I needed or was it the fact that everything about that appointment was not what I was expecting um so yeah it was yeah so that that's how it was delivered um and they said and they also said that they were very sure that I had they were 90% sure that I was dyspraxic as well um, but I'm too old to get that diagnosis, so <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of a bit. It's almost like a roller coaster that last appointment. <laughs> yeah, this is what's going on. <laughs> and I wonder if if that is if it is part of the test as such. Yeah. It sounds awful, but I wonder if it is part of the test. I wonder if it yeah. is. I mean, I don't know because I don't know the assessment process. Yeah. So I, I'm, we're not. We're certainly not saying it is everybody, but it'd be yeah. interesting to find out from others. Yeah, I'd like to know because other people, like the only people that I've ever kind of really mentioned it to before, haven't actually gone through the process. So they've always been like, "Oh, I'm sure they wouldn't have done that to you." So I'd be interested to know if any kind of other autistic people have had a, a similar experience either over Zoom or face-to-face. -face. I don't know if they do a similar thing face-to-face. -face. I don't know how they would, but yeah, it just seems to be a bit of a, a bit coincidental that that yeah. was a, an artism trait that they seem to have put to the test a little bit. But it yeah. wouldn't surprise me because it would make sense. And I know it sounds awful and it much yeah. people, but it would make a little bit of sense, really. Yeah, it would almost confirm to them something because they, they did say as well, when they told me, they gave me kind of the news, they said, oh, we sort of, we already knew you were autistic when we spoke to you in March. So they've known for eight months and not told me. Yeah, they have to, they have to, yeah. they most likely have protocols and they yeah. most likely have to, they also, and I think this is the thing, they have 
a time scale that they have yeah. to adhere to. Yeah, and this is the thing. And 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 I think people, I, I, we see it a lot. And I see it on Instagram where people say, why does it take so long? It's because there is this time scale. And regardless whether you're NHS, social care, there is this barrier of it takes this long. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. does. And, and, and sadly, and it sounds awful, doesn't it? Um, there is a time scale that something has to take this long for it to be relevant, appropriate, yeah. or, or it needs to make sure that it, it is still relevant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, and, and I think it, is, it, sounds, it sounds awful, doesn't it, really? But I wonder if it is the actual process. I couldn't tell anybody whether it is or not. Um, yeah. After that, though, after getting that diagnosis, what next, though? Um, well, I got the piece of paper that says you are autistic. Um, and essentially, it like tumbleweed. That's sort of what happened afterwards. <laughs> That's like the best way of describing it. Like it was essentially like, here you go, off you go into the world. That's it. And I sort of thought, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so I was lucky to find that I already knew of a local autism charity um who I could go to and they offer post-diagnostic support oh, okay. Um, so I had four sessions with them of post-diagnostic support and they do run online like peer support groups and there's a women's aligned group as well which is really positive um and it's for adults as well um that's local to you it's local to me yeah so that's in Leeds um so yes yeah, so that's local to me um other than that it's the most support I've found has been from Instagram and from the autism community on Instagram because I just think actually there's not been a whole lot kind of out there in like I know people like you, you use the phrase like that magic wand it's I mean as much I am wearing my Harry Potter hoodie and I would love to believe that that did give me the magic wand it, it really didn't it's essentially it's made me valid for some services is essentially what it's done um yeah it that I, i'd love to be a lot more optimistic about this so sorry listeners that this isn't very optimistic but um, <laughs> but unfortunately it, it really is it's if you are prepared to kind of really do that fight and i think i I think I've become a lot more gobby is probably the best word to use <laughs> since I got diagnosed. So I was like, oh no, I'm not having it. Like somebody was rude to my mom on the phone the other day and I was like, no, I'm not having it. Absolutely not having it. And then they were rude to me. So I quoted the Equality Act. And I just sort of think I'm not having it anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah I suppose Emily's absolutely right. I have this thing where... That piece of paper that gives you a diagnosis, or for me, I have a thing about labels and that, and I've been, I'm honest about that. Um, you're given this autistic label as such, and 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 that's fine because you need it to be able yeah. to get services, um, sometimes benefits for some people. 
yeah, um, yeah. sometimes possibly a blue badge for some people that need it because there is yeah. the need definitely for some people certainly if you've got struggles where you've got issues with balance and things like that and and, and because there is that issue um so let's not underestimate it you know yeah. and and there is a need for that and access to um um other services as such but just getting that piece of paper isn't good enough in my yeah. opinion that piece of paper should be a gateway to something else and that's yeah. and 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 yes by all means go get your diagnosis and, and I'm very honest about that and I think yeah. Emily knows I am very much about that but your diagnosis one isn't going to open doors without you doing something about it no absolutely you do need to be very proactive once you've got that diagnosis which is the unfortunate side of it I think if you wait for it to come to you it, it's not going to to happen unfortunately it also needs you to be proactive yeah <laughs> and work with people yeah but also assist with that and and I, and I, and I, and, I, and that's about in my opinion and and I think you're you're very much very vocal in the sense of look hey I'm here ask me yeah yeah absolutely yeah that I, I point the arrow at me ask yeah. me what I want and I'll tell you if you've got an opinion I will listen to it but if I think you're wrong, I'm going to also be empowered to speak up. But I'm also going to actually take notice what you have to say, because actually I might be wrong. I might not have seen it from yeah. your side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely the way I see it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And and I think that and that, so so within that diagnosis now, how has it made you feel having a diagnosis? I'm a lot more accepting of myself. I think the, the biggest positive has been self-acceptance because I understand the previous 27 years now, um, which I, well, nearly 27 and a half years now. Um, so, yeah, I think that's been the biggest thing is that self-acceptance. Actually, I've got answers to the questions that nobody's really tried to answer before um, when I've gone through services. So I think that's been the, the biggest kind of thing. That's why I think... It is important if you can to get a diagnosis, but I do think, yeah, it's <laughs> it's mainly as it made it it's also put you less at risk in the sense of not being put on medication wise, because as you said earlier on, you were put on medication that actually made you more ill. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My uh well. I won't say all my GPs, some of my GPs will now listen when I say, hang on, I shouldn't be on that. Um, or when I, I think that, because I do tend to have with any kind of medication quite strong side effects. Um, and I have got better at sort of, I mean, I was on tablets a while ago where there was like a side effect of liver failure and I knew I was quite unwell and I rang up and they were like, oh, are you sure? Just stay on them a bit longer. And I, <laughs> I really, again, you have to advocate for yourself. So I did say, look, I have got this history. You have put me on these and I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be bent over in pain like the entire time. 
Um, and I did finally get through to somebody who understood and, and kind of got that I shouldn't be on something that I should have been getting those side effects with. It's just, it's just about persistence and being proactive, I think, and that kind of advocating for yourself. So it, it does, like you say, it has put me less at risk. Um, I just need to find the right people <laughs> to make sure that that happens, which is unfortunate, but I'm working out who does and doesn't listen now, so... And so do you think actually the diagnosis has empowered you? Yeah, definitely. I think I am a lot more, as I said, I'm a bit more gobby. And when I go into meetings... Empowered, Emily. Empowered. Empowered, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably like my uh, Yorkshire term. But yeah, empowered. Yeah, I do think it has empowered me. I think I am a lot more. I think at the sort of end of last year, beginning of this year, my confidence was probably at the lowest point. But I think actually the more I've being able to accept that diagnosis and kind of being able to do all these things, it has made me a lot more empowered than I have. I used to be that quiet person. Again, haha, autism trait, shy person at school, but um, yeah, um, I'm not now. So yeah, I, I very rarely sit through a meeting and don't say something now, which is something I never used to do before. So yeah. And 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 I and I suppose look there is that myth that people and you do hear it a lot. Oh well, they're using the autistic label. There, there is that, isn't there, going on a lot. I've heard it a lot, and 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 also, there is that thing of my child has autism. My oh, it, they're autistic, even without diagnosis. It is used. Uh, my child has ADHD. My child has Asperger's. My and it is thrown a lot, isn't it? It is. It you is used probably sometimes to the wrong effect I think if you go around saying every five minutes you know my child is autistic my child can't do this because they're autistic I think that is going to send the wrong message um and I think that is probably why we sometimes do get the wrong press sometimes um recently in particular but we do get the and I think the media is quite responsible for the if something horrific happens you can guarantee there is going to be a headline saying or so-and-so that did this horrific thing was probably autistic and you just think well you're just using a label that you don't know (laughs) if that was a correct thing to say to kind of so it makes us into this kind of people that you should be scared of and I don't think that's the right thing so I think there are wrong ways to use like you say it is a label um and I don't think some of the labels associated with it are helpful. Um, I think there's a way to use the diagnosis of being autistic and it's just being careful to not use it in as, as an excuse. I think it can be used as a reason why something is difficult, but if you use it as an excuse for absolutely everything, media included in this, then it's not helpful and it's just gonna demonize a community that desperately needs support. <laughs> And, and 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 do you think that's the thing about it being a hidden? It's this thing, isn't it? Hidden disability, hidden difficulty, hidden difference. It it's it's whatever it is to you rather than us, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of ask us kind of how we refer to it, how we feel about it. Absolutely, it's how we kind of feel about it. I would never try and speak on somebody else's behalf without asking them first kind of how they would like to be referred to or how they feel about kind of the particular if they if somebody says look I hate the I'm going to use the high functioning label because it's something me and we've talked about before yeah. like I hate that label 
I really do. <laughs> and I know I get called it a lot and it's just, yeah, it's really hard where you just think, I would say to somebody, please don't ever use that label about me because you're making an assumption because that's my pet peeve with somebody making an assumption. Um, and again, it's about that whole picture. You're not seeing the whole picture. You're seeing, yes, I do run my own business, but you're not seeing all the other little bits. I think I did a post a while ago. It was like, yes, I run my own business and I can, you know, you know, I can speak publicly in front of large groups of people, but I can't tie my own shoelaces. Yeah, I can't butter bread. It's <laughs> it's like you, you're not seeing the full picture. I can't chop or prep vegetables or food or anything. And it's like you're just not, not that I want to focus on the things I can't do, but you're not seeing the full picture when you're yeah, providing that label. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, what it might mean is that you might need support to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. That, and that's the thing, isn't it? And 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 that's the key thing is it 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 shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter where you fit is what yeah. i'm where yeah. your difference is it shouldn't matter where you are on on that scale whatever yeah. you want to think of it whatever support you need whatever level of support you need it shouldn't matter about the amount it should matter that you get it yeah does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah it shouldn't matter how much support you need what matters is that you get it that's a, yes. yeah yeah, I like that. We're going to go with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Plus, yeah. ultimately, you could need five minutes of support. If yeah. you didn't get it, you would have unmet needs. Yeah. And having unmet needs puts you in a vulnerable position, meaning you're at risk of harm. Yeah. And ultimately, if you're at risk of harm, you're a vulnerable adult. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what you are and that's the thing so we have to stop understanding oh well you could do all that no but actually if I don't if I don't eat I'm at risk yeah <laughs> yeah it's just yeah and I think yeah <laughs> and that, that's very very sort of simplistic but it and I think we have to be more aware of that and we have to be more aware of understanding it's not the amount it's it's not yeah. the level. it's not the just because you can do this but can't do this it's not about that and it's not oh you're you're better off than me because it's it, you know it's like saying to somebody well you've got this so you must be all right yeah you know how many of us sit in our life and say well oh no my life isn't as bad as bad as that I'm, I, I need to snap out of it it's like saying that yeah it's like saying that term, you know, when you hear people say man up. What? We don't say that, do we? No, no. Get over yourself or brush yourself. We don't encourage that. No. So ultimately, it shouldn't matter where you fit. Sadly, because we have the scale, it sometimes is perceived in that way. Yeah. And it is about perception sometimes. It is. And I think that's the thing about diagnosis. And then when you get that diagnosis, it's what's those nice, lovely terminologies that are in that diagnosis that some people get, because you don't just get you're autistic. You could get you've got this, this, and I, and to be fair, there's far more than I even know. Yeah. It, yeah so yeah there's so many that you can get within one diagnosis yeah levels 
Yeah. And depending on who you get it from, you can have level two, level three. Yeah, I've seen a few people say they've got like level three autism and things like that, or a level three, not level three autism, that sounds the wrong way to say it, like level three autism diagnosis and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I'm like, oh, I've not heard of that before, you know? Um, but also with other codes next to it, that means they've also maybe got a learning disability, but not a learning disability. Um, yeah. And so it's a lot, but you get that with not much. There's not much follow-up with it. I'll say that. <laughs> so, I'll ask, so if nothing else, everybody, if you get a diagnosis, ask the questions, go to check your local area for yeah. support services. What would you say to people from a diagnosis point of view? Um, I would say it is beneficial to get a diagnosis and it is a difficult process so it's a point important to if you can have people around you to support you through that especially if it's a lengthy one um and afterwards either if you can advocate for yourself advocate for yourself but be very kind of kind to yourself as you're doing it um or find advocacy services um find other autistic adults on social media who will support I will gladly support kind of anyone that is something I do um as part of my work so yeah absolutely if you want to kind of yeah just find sources of support if you're not able to advocate for yourself find somebody who can and if you can advocate for yourself it gets easier <laughs> the first time's horrific but it does get easier and it's just I hope that one day we'll live in a world where we don't need to advocate to essentially get up in the morning sometimes <laughs> I know that's not what I'm doing but sometimes you just feel like oh again um so yeah it's yeah and 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 what would be nice is if we don't have to keep on repeating ourselves that would be nice yeah sometimes I feel like I should just record myself and put myself on repeat like oh, so yeah. that's not accessible. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's all right Emily we'll just record it you can just press play yeah absolutely yeah I, I just need to take this podcast with me everywhere I go <laughs> just, keep on, just keep on pressing it we just said this this yeah. and, and we'll talk about um the research that's going on in Cambridgeshire on the next podcast yes. and, and also about the hidden disability thing because what's been on yeah. the news lately uh, I don't know if you've seen the news about a um a, a public figure and his three children with autism um ah, is it Paddy McGuinness yeah yeah uh, and um him approaching a member of the public who was staring at his children brilliant <laughs> actually speaking to them actually yeah. explaining yeah yeah um, not Being good on him we need to do it so okay. yeah um <laughs> yeah and I thought and I thought that would be quite a good thing maybe to look at and and yeah. talk about it um so so we will look at um looking at services and things like that what's out there um but also look at and um, the misconceptions of things and the damage that they can do um to people because ultimately it can make you become isolated yeah. because why would you want to be in a world 
that has these opinions of you. So we will look at um, um, services, we'll look at misconceptions, myths and things like that, but also um, about what you do, about your input, what you want to get people talking about, actually, um, because I think that's important to get people talking, but talking in the right way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's the key thing, talking in the right way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also maybe even a little bit of a slant also, if you don't mind, maybe talking about how um, social care can help as well when they're working in social care, what they can make a difference and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and hopefully we'll record that and put that up after a couple of days after this one. I'll, I'll book a, a, a session. Um, so Emily, thank you for joining me. Um, thank you for having me it's been really nice to come on again can't wait to see the next one <laughs> yeah it's great it's great and um thank you for all your information much appreciated and uh, thank you for joining me on pull up a chair and let's talk care